Alrighty, so in the past couple of weeks, we talked about uh, the word honor and what it means to be honored. We talked about um, honoring God through service to others. Last week, we kind of pre-gamed and warmed up for Pentecost. And this week, we are finally to Pentecost Sunday, 50 full days after Passover. So we're going to start today with a little bit of uh, history behind the Pentecost. Um, So... First thing that you need to know is that Pentecost, as just a word, is a Greek word meaning number 50. Okay, (coughs) called Pentecost because it is the time that is 50 days after the Passover. So, uh, in the Hebrew language, this feast uh, is called Shavuot, and it is known as the Feast of the Weeks. Feast of Harvest, or the Feast of Latter First Fruits. So, what the Jewish holiday is used for, this this feast is used for, is actually a time to show joy, and a time to be thankful for God's harvest. Okay, and that's where it gets, that's where it gets those three names from. Uh, the Feast of the Weeks is the time part, so the time to show joy. Or the time to show thankfulness. That's the feast of the weeks. The feast of the harvest and the feast of the latter first fruits. That comes for the thankful for God's harvest end of that. So, um, we think about Pentecost. And the first place that our mind goes is naturally the book of Acts, right? You think about Pentecost, it's almost... It's almost instant that you would think about Acts chapter 2 when the Pentecostal experience occurs. But uniquely, when we consider Pentecost or this feast, Shavuot, we can actually date it all the way back to the beginning of the Word of God. So if we walk back to when Moses climbed up the mountain and he went there to meet God for the Ten Commandments, that time of the year that he went up the mountain was in the Hebrew language known as Matan Torah, meaning the giving of the law. And it was in the middle of their feast called Shavuot. So during this Pentecost celebration was when we as mankind got our first 10 big rules this was, when, this was when Moses went up the mountain and met with God and said, here's, here's the Ten Commandments. These are, these are what you need to go back and relay to your people. So that's a good thing for us to hold on to. When you think about Pentecost, it doesn't just have to be a New Testament thinking. You take it back into the Old Testament. So take it all the way back to Exodus, and you got the fact that This is the holiday that's going on when the Ten Commandments are brought into place. But then you go a little bit further down the line. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Joel chapter 2. And uh, I'll read to you verses 28 through 32. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. 
The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Therefore, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So this piece of scripture in the book of Joel is the direct prophecy of what will later be fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. This is the direct prophecy when he says, It shall come to pass, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. So that pouring out of the Spirit happened when those 120 gathered in that upper room. And if you have a study Bible and you look in the column when you're reading Acts chapter 2, you'll see a little side note that says, Prophecy Fulfilled. Read Joel 2. So, they all gathered together. They began to pray. And God poured out His Spirit upon their flesh so intensely that it came upon them like as of fire, is what the Word says. Okay? So that's just one of the prophecies. If you have your Bible open, turn back to the book of Zechariah and go to chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. It says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as the one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So this prophecy is telling us that the Spirit is promised. So in Joel, that's the direct prophecy that the day of Pentecost will come. And when the day of Pentecost comes, as recorded in the book of Acts, that's when the gift of tongues becomes made known to us. In Zechariah, it's more so just saying, the Spirit's coming. It doesn't, it doesn't give you quite as much detail there. He just says, I'm going to pour out upon the house of David the Spirit of grace. Okay? And um, so a couple other uh, scriptures that I want to make note of here are going to be Matthew 3.11. So if you have your Bible, you can turn back to that. Matthew 3.11 says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen? So... This isn't technically a prophecy, but here, you know, John the Baptist is, is reaching out and ministering, and he says, yes, you come to me, I'll baptize you in water. But this guy that's coming, he's bigger than me, he's stronger than me, he's mightier than me. And he's not going to baptize you in water, but he's going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost with fire. With the fire thing, is there a Greek word in the original for that? Like, there likely is. I've not researched I it. Like to, I've not researched it. I'm to know like, what the actual Greek word is. 
Yeah, I, I haven't researched that, uh, but I'm, I'm sure it's there. But yes, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you like fire. You think about it. You think about the book of Acts. Okay, and we're going to read that here in just a minute. But you think about the word fire. How many times in church have you heard even me say something about the fire of God? Probably countless. You hear people say, you know, the fire of God hit that house. And in fact, we've even heard testimonies of actual church buildings appearing to be on fire. To where fire departments were called. And they got to the church and said, the church is not on fire. And they said, yes, it is. Look at it. It's burning. That's the fire of God. So hot that the roof of the church looked like it was on fire. Can I say something? Yeah. Remember, do you remember Pastor Beck saying, fire changes everything it touches? Yes, exactly. And you think about that. You know, go home, light a fire, throw a piece of cardboard in it. What's going to happen to that cardboard? It's going to smolder down all the way to ash. Step in to the fire of God. What's going to happen to you? You're going to die under yourself and become one with God. So when you step into this holy fire, you can, you can read these words and say, God will physically baptize me with a fire that is forever going to change my life. They use hot, yes, to mold their steel. Yes. Yes, you have to get you have to get sturdy materials hot in order to be able to bend them. Yeah, how hot does the steel have to get for them to mold it? Twenty nine hundred degrees. Twenty nine hundred degrees. So, so you need fire to produce change. And when we, you probably saw on Facebook, it's I. Change. You, you can't just yes, change. It's, it's permanent, permanent change. change. It's it's the deliverance. And so you you saw on Facebook, I put up the cute little joke about, you know, the fall of man. When they fell, they got clothes. Therefore, it's their fault. We have laundry. So, I totally saw that. <laughs> I totally saw that. It, and it's, it's funny. It's cute. But you think back to that day. Okay, when, when the fall of man occurred. And on that day, God decided, I'm going to have to change these people with fire. I'm going to have to hit these people with fire in order to mold them and make them into what I need them to be. Fire. With fire. Mm-hmm. But he's talking about holy fire. Yes. And the earth is not the earth. The earth is the earthly way. Mm-hmm. Because the kingdom of God That's will be set up on the earth mm-hmm. and destroyed by fire. That's correct. So we are told here in Matthew 3 and 11, we're going to get baptized <coughs> with fire. 
That's the way Jesus is going to come and baptize us with the Holy Ghost. Not with water, but with fire. So turn with me then to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to go back to verse 49. Okay, this is right before uh, Jesus' ascension. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Words of Jesus says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye into the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So there we go, the direct words from Jesus Christ that says, Stay here and wait for me until I come and endue you with power from on high, until I pour out my Spirit upon you, until I baptize you with this fire. Stay here and wait. I'm coming. It's a promise. It's written in the Word of God. It's a promise. So these are um, the first two scriptures that we just talked about. Those are the direct prophecies to uh, Matthew here and Luke, baptized by fire, endued with power from on high. Those are some of the different ways that we uh, can, can refer to this baptism. But when you think about the ministry of Jesus, and when Jesus walked the earth, when he preached and when he taught, and then even after Jesus was crucified and he came back, he continued to teach and, and, and to minister. So in the book of Acts, we're going to start out here in chapter 1. In the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be a witness unto both unto me in both Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay? Again, exact words of Jesus. Ye shall receive power after you receive the Holy Ghost. So that directly correlates with the verse from Luke that says, Stay here and wait for me until I come back and do you from, with power from on high. Okay? And then you go back, uh, if you go back to the Gospel of Mark, you get to chapter 16. You're going to read this whole long list that starts with, And these signs shall accompany those that believe. Okay? Inside that list, the words are, they're going to speak with new tongues. Okay? That's, that's your Pentecost day. That's your Pentecostal experience. They're going to speak with new tongues. Words of Jesus. And then you got one of my favorite ones. If you got your Bible, turn to John chapter 20. We're going to look a little bit here at uh, verse 22. One of my favorite verses. In fact, let's start just a little bit above that. Let's start at verse 19. This is when the disciples see Jesus for the first time after he was crucified. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. 
And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. Here's verse 22. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Okay? Put yourself in that situation. What if Jesus Christ stood here in this very room, appeared to us, and showed us his hands, and showed us his side? Can you imagine Jesus Christ standing next to you, breathing on you, and saying, Receive ye the Holy Ghost? If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what would. But let me tell you what, folks. If Jesus Christ stood right here beside me and breathed on me a little bit, I bet you a million dollars I'd be flat on the floor in the presence of my God, overcome with the Holy Spirit, flat on the floor, ready to worship. And in the instant that he would say, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, you say, I receive. I am ready for what you have brought to me today. I receive. Okay? We talk about Pentecost year after year. Churches all over the nation today are getting the Pentecost message. Most of these churches that are getting the Pentecost message are not going to get this last half that I'm about to give to you. I'm going to start this by saying the church, not meaning this group of people, not meaning this small assemblance, but meaning the ecclesia, the entire body of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, needs the Spirit of God. Amen? The church needs the Spirit of God in order to be blessed. Think about a church that you've ever been to, it may be easy to do, that did not stay steadfast in the Spirit of God. Think about it for a minute. Have you ever walked into a church that you would have walked out and said that church is dead? Have you ever walked into a church and said, I just sat there for an hour and a half and was fighting to stay awake. Did you ever walk into a church and say they just don't have it? They're gonna get that chair. <laughs> you, you just shake your head and you say <coughs> they don't have it. Something's missing from this place. That's what's missing is the presence of the Holy Ghost. Because Preachers, teachers, pastors, bishops, whatever you want to call them, they want to build up that wall and say, this is my church. I'm going to run it according to how I want my church to be run. They say, I want the music to begin here and end here. I want the announcements to start promptly at 1030 and be over no later than 1045. I want my service to end at exactly 11.55. That way everyone's out of here by noon. But it's not up 
to the pastor. It's not up to the preacher, the teacher, the bishop. It's not up to them. It is up to the Holy Ghost. And when we, as, as the ministers, say, okay, God, it's yours. Take it. Use me to teach these people. When we hand it over and say, Lord, have your way, guess what? The music might take 45 minutes and the word only take 10. Or maybe the music will only take 10 minutes and the message is going to, oops, take an hour and a half. But guess what? When the Holy Ghost is moving through that message, the eyes are locked. Not on the preacher. The eyes are locked on God. And when the Holy Spirit comes through the church, peace. Peace is restored. You think about that church that you walked into and you said they don't have it. What was one thing you can say they didn't have? Most likely, peace. There was something that upset the apple cart inside that place. Something was not right. No one was at peace with one another. But when the Spirit comes into the church, peace is restored. That's why Jesus reiterated twice when he appeared to these disciples, peace be unto you. When when Jesus came back in the spirit form, he said, peace be unto you. Why? He He was coming back as the Holy Spirit to say, I, I am the one that will restore the peace in your fellowship. Okay? The church that has the Holy Spirit freely reigning is a growing and fertile church. Let let me repeat that to you. The church that has the Spirit freely reigning is a growing and fertile church. To define that, I do not mean that the church begins to burst at the seams because everyone from everywhere is coming out of the woodwork to come to this church. I mean, the people that come to that church faithfully begin to grow. That means that if there are 5, 10, 15, or 20 of us every Sunday that come here, we can be a growing and fertile church by allowing the Holy Spirit to come into this place and work on each one of us. To be a growing and fertile church does not require two, three, four, five hundred people coming on a Sunday. It requires each individual being obedient to God's move. Okay? So, if you have your Bibles, then go ahead and turn to the book of Isaiah. We're going to go to chapter 32. Isaiah 32, uh, verses 13 through 15. says, Upon the land of my people shall come, upon, shall come up thorns and briars, yea, upon all of the houses of joy in the joyous city, because all the palaces shall be forsaken, and the multitude of the city shall be left. The forts and towers shall be for dens forever, a joy <coughs> of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks until the spirit be poured on us from on high and the wilderness be a fruitful field and the fruitful field be contoured for a forest. 
What does that mean? Okay, when we take this apart, and I'm this is where I'm going to go directly to my Charles Spurgeon book, because Charles Spurgeon took that scripture apart perfectly, absolutely perfectly, takes it apart piece by piece and defines it. Okay, so as I said, the church needs the spirit to be blessed, for peace to be restored, and to become a growing and fertile church. Without the spirit, no peace, no growth, not fertile. Without the spirit, the church is sorrowful. So if you read this passage of scripture, the land of my people, call that the church. On the land of my people, there's going to come up briars and thorns because the church doesn't want to receive the spirit. So you go into a church that doesn't have the spirit, they're probably not going to warmly welcome you because they're not very warm and welcome to themselves. They're not warm and welcome to the Holy Ghost. They're going to be full of briars and thorns. This church that is without the Spirit has no increase. Again, not talking about number of congregates, talking about each person individually, spiritually speaking. This church without the Spirit has no increase. These people are coming because they have to. Not because they want to be fed, not because they want to go and serve their God, but because it's their duty. It's Sunday. They got to get dressed up, put on their suit and tie, go to church, get home, have Sunday dinner. That's what they have to do. They've always done it. Why not keep doing it? There's no increase. Here's the worst part. Here's the worst part about the church that does not have the Spirit. They cease to pray and become backslidden. Amen? They cease to pray and they become backslidden. What do we do? You, you, and, and just picture that church. Picture the church that says, eh, we'll pray for five or so minutes, but got to keep it moving along. Why? Prayer, like we talked about two or three weeks ago, prayer is not a one-way conversation. It's a two-way street. I come to God. I talk with God, and God talks with me. But when I stop talking to God, and I stop listening to God, I find myself in the back pew. Not hungry. You two in trouble. <laughs> I find myself all the way in the back of the church. Crossed arms, crossed legs. Dad, you really in trouble. <laughs> you know, that, that's where you find yourself. That's where you find yourself. Until one day, God says, hey, you listening? And you sit there and you shake your head, no, I ain't listening. And he says, I promised you I'm going to pour my spirit out upon you. And he uses that preacher, that teacher in the front of the church to walk to the back of that church and say, come here. And you go, she's talking to the person in front of me. 
Stephanie. Oh, she's talking to me. Talking to me. And God says, I told you. I told you. I'm going to pour my spirit out upon you. You ready? And when he does, the power of God comes over you so strongly. You buckle. Down to the floor and onto God's operating table. He says, you know what? Here's my fire. I'm going to get you good and hot so that I can mold you and make you into what I need you to be. Now that you're on my operating table, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to deliver you. When you come up off of that operating table, ladies and gentlemen, you come up a changed person permanently. Permanently changed because God set fire to your bones. God set fire to your spirit and said this, is what we need to accomplish. And when you come up, guess what? The prayer, it comes back. The backslidden goes away. And you have been one with the Holy Ghost. How the Holy Spirit comes, again, Charles Spurgeon nailed it on the head. Three ways the Holy Spirit comes. Number one, copiously, meaning abundantly. So he uses the scripture text that says he's going to pour it out. Remember months and months and months ago when I, I used a pitcher and a bowl of water? And, and we talked about the infilling, the infilling of God's presence. I'm the cup, God's the pitcher. And as I poured and poured and poured, eventually that cup got so full that it ran over and it made noise. Copiously. God pours himself into us. Okay? The Spirit comes personally. Personally. He says, comes upon us. So the Spirit of God is poured out That's the copious part on us. That's the personal part. We are the all flesh that that spirit's going to get poured out on. From above. That means it's coming divinely. Directly from God, pouring out. Directly from God is how the spirit is poured out. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing and mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all, note that, 120 people in one instant. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
in one instant, in this room of people, in one accord, praying, praying and seeking God on, on what would be this very day. Fifty days after the Passover feast, they came together, went up in that room, and God poured out his spirit. The people around them thought they were drunk because they were speaking in other tongues. But they all received because they were ready to receive. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Three things we got to know in order to receive the Holy Spirit. In order to receive the Spirit, we have to understand our dependence on the Holy Spirit. Scripture reference on that is going to be John 14 and 26. We have to understand that when we're walking through life, It's not because, hey, I'm here just because my parents decided they were going to have kids. So I'm walking the earth now. No, it's because God decided that your parents would meet, your parents would have kids, or your parents would adopt kids. You were that kid. And he said, hey, before you were ever born, I knew you. I formed you. I knit you together then in your mother's womb. Now you're here. We got to understand our dependence on him. Without without God, we never were. Because on day 1, we were his creation. Amen. Amen. On day 1, we were his creation. To receive the Spirit, we have to look into our own hearts. You have to look into your heart as if it's a field. Is the field planted or is the field barren? If your heart field is barren, you need a little bit of fertilizer. That fertilizer, you guessed it is the Holy Ghost. That fertilizer in your heart is as simple as, Lord, I come and I confess unto you that I have sinned. I'm ready to change my way. I'm ready to receive what you have for me. Do with me, Lord, what you wish. And suddenly your heart field has been fertilized and now it's ready to receive the Holy Ghost. Number three, the big one. And if you want a scripture reference on that uh, second one there for looking into your heart, that's 1 Corinthians 6 and uh, verse 9. Number three, to receive the Holy Spirit. The biggest one. Never. The word the scripture uses, never. Despise the Spirit. That means no matter what you go through in life no matter what you go through never despise the spirit you can despise something that you're going through 
You can despise something that happened to you, but never, never despise the Spirit. Because even in the darkest hour of your darkest day, the Spirit had you in His hand. Scripture reference is going to be Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 27. Never despise the Spirit, lest He swear wrath never to work in you. It's an eyebrow raiser. You think about the people that were remiss in saying something along the lines of I blame God. You think about the people that said, I'm mad because God let this happen. That is our job as the Christian believers, the fellowship people of Jesus Christ. It is our job to provide them with the reproof and correction that we are biblically responsible to provide to say, God saw you through it. God walked with you through that time. Never despise the spirit lest he swear wrath never to work in you. So, today as it's Pentecost Sunday, I gave you a lot to think about. I hope that I've given you enough encouragement to go out and to be obedient to what God wants you to do, to go out and, and be ready for when God sends someone to your door even at 10.30 at night, to sit up and spend time with them, to, to reach out and minister and say, this, this is what I know. And I know this because God instructed me using his word. And I have the assurance in my faith to share this with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord God, for this word that you laid on my heart. And I ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, that each person present here today would take something unique away from this. Lord God, I ask that each person that has heard this message would be able to walk out and confidently share faith. They would be able to walk out and confidently seek your face, Lord God, to seek you for everything you have for them. Father, today, as we remember this Pentecost Sunday, we ask, Lord God, that you call to our remembrance the fact that this was when Moses went up to meet you to receive the Ten Commandments, that this is the time, Lord God, recorded in your Holy Scripture, that 120 came together to pray, and you poured out your Spirit upon them. And Father God, in the name of Jesus, I ask for every believer that will hear this word, that you would pour out your spirit so strongly and intensely upon them, Father God, that it may hit them in the name of Jesus like fire, Lord God, that you alone will have your way in their life. Father, I give you praise and I give you glory that I have been able to share this word, Father God. I have been so ready from the day you laid it on my heart. And I ask, Lord God, that each person has received this word and is ready beyond any shadow of any doubt to receive your Holy Spirit. And it is in Jesus Christ's name that we pray and ask these things. May you have glory. Amen.